Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Missed Apex Podcast. Just thinking about paid drivers. Just feels like these days, I don't know. Seems like every seat's got a price. I wonder how they sleep at night. When the cash comes first and the points come second, just stop for a minute and drive. Why is Patty so serious? Acting so damn mysterious. Got Rob on your side and you're standing so low that you can't even tell us just why. Pull the rest up to your left. Pass the line to your right. But did you see that? Yeah, we signed a paid driver tonight. It's all about the money, money, money. We just want your money, money, money We don't worry about the lap times It's all about the ship price It's all about the, uh, cha-ching, cha-ching All about the, yeah, bubbling, bubbling Wanna make the book soar Not worry about the point score We need to take it back in time When racing made us all unite And it wasn't just cash and video clips Am I the only one getting tired? Why is everyone so obsessed? Money can't buy championships Can we all slow down? Not the drivers though, they need to go fast Look, Mr. Apex, we're cash money too Patreon supported, but we're a podcast You missed the Apex It's all about the money, money, money But we just want your money, money, money We don't worry about the lap times It's all about the ship price It's all about the, uh, cha-ching, cha-ching All about the, yeah, bubbling, bubbling Wanna make the book soar Not worry about the point score You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast We live F1 Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by the British Rental Car Championship. Today's episode is called, I'm Going to Leave the Shed. 
This week, we took a look at the F1 news and listened to some interviews from December's Autosport Awards. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two-Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Oh, it's going great. It's nice to be back in the shed. It's the first show back in the shed for me. Of course, you and Chris have been doing e-radio already, but for me, I'm all a flutter for my first show of 2018. And you should be. We have a bouncing chat room to join us, don't we? If you want to join the chat room, go to YouTube and look for Missed Apex Podcast. Click subscribe and the little bell, and you'll get a notification every time we go live. We're also joined by Autosports, Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens. How's it going, Chris? Yeah, it's going great. It's just so good to be back on Missed Apex. As soon as I heard the music coming on again, it's just, oh, it's butterflies in the stomach. I love it. We've had like nearly a month away from this live stream. And every time a news topic comes up, I'm like, I want to argue with Chris and Matt about it. And it's not the same over WhatsApp. No, we've got to make up for all the arguments we've missed out on over the last month just in this one show. Deal. Chris, we're spending some real lifetime together soon, but we'll talk about that a bit later, shall we? Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, are you going to testing? If you're not, shall we go? Let's let's book a holiday together. Uh, I currently have no plans for testing. So, yeah, go for it. Is it not something that appeals to you to just go as a mere punter now that you've tasted the elixir of being a paddock journalist? I, th- I think once you've done one race in sort of my position, you you, you I struggle to go back, you know. I mean, I, I happily watch it on the telly, but otherwise... Tell you what, why don't we just do a shout out to anyone in the paddock? Why not invite me and Chris, but more importantly, me, to come and be your guest and show me around and make me feel special? Is that so much to ask? If you're listening to this, then you you must enjoy what we do. Therefore, spread the love. Look, what I'm really here to do is to remind you that we are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong. But we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. All right, let's look at some Big Dirty News. Big Dirty News. Well, of course, the Big Dirty News this week is the fact that Williams have confirmed their driver lineup. Unfortunately, Robert Kubica did not get the drive, and it's gone to Sergei Sorokin to partner Lance Stroll. But Jake Sanson went on behalf of Downforce Radio to December's Autosport Awards. And it's not that long ago, and it was pre-decision, but it's still very interesting to hear uh, what Robert thought about his journey towards even this point of getting to Formula One. And, you know, since the decision, he said that this is not the end of the dream. Uh, so I think this is relevant as well. And we'll just hear a quick interview with Paddy Lowe too. So um, excuse the audio. We've done our best to clean it up. But this is on the red carpet from Autosport. So on the red carpet with us here at the Autosport Awards is the Polish superstar Robert Kubica. Robert, it's great to have you here at the Autosport Awards. Thank you very much. Thanks. Uh, nice to see you. And yeah, let's uh, enjoy the evening. So obviously, we're going to talk a tiny bit about the hype. Obviously, there's a chance you could be in the Williams Formula One car for next year. But over the last six months, it's kind of gone from a one-off test in a Renault, your old team, to the potential of a proper Formula One drive. When was the start of this whole journey to potentially get you back into the seat? How did it all happen? Well, it, uh, it happened quite, let's say, surprisingly in the end. Uh, we had a chat with Renault. Uh, for opportunity for me to organize a test with uh, the 2012 car and the test first test uh, has been in June 
uh, so it was uh, over six years that I was not driving F1 car and uh, actually it happened in Valencia, the circuit which uh, I drove for the last time F1 car before my accident so it has been a special moment and a uh, uh, very, very great feeling and to, uh, from that point onwards the confidence has grown up uh, that uh, with good preparation, with the good opportunities I, I could do it uh, then I had of course uh, another test with Renault and uh, finally uh, I had a great opportunity with Williams to test with them in the end we have done three days uh, of testing yeah, three and a bit uh, first two of them were with 2014 car and uh, last test in Abu Dhabi with 2017 car so that has been um, quite tough intense period for me uh, quite uh, nice and uh, enjoyable months but uh, they have been uh, quite hard work and you know to overcome with my, all my limitations and uh, to make sure I'm able to do it it has not been easy but uh, the confidence is there uh, the feeling has improved and uh, as I said, in the end, uh, uh, it's a great moment for me, but uh, of course, uh, we are here, you know, to, uh, I think, uh, yeah, in the last six months, has, uh, I, I think I have done quite a lot and uh, to prove that uh, although I have limitations, I can do it, and uh, I think that's the, the biggest point. And we've seen you do so much in the last six years since your last Grand Prix. Obviously, we've seen you in World Rallying, winning a championship in WRC2. You've tested for DTM in World Endurance Championship. And now here we are again talking about Formula One next year. If the drive doesn't happen, is that it? Or will we push for a seat in 2019? I mean, is this now full-time? You want to be in Formula One again properly all the way? I think uh, everything can happen in, in, in life in general. I think my example is... a. Uh, a good example, you know, in bad and in good. Uh, so, uh, I think, uh, honestly, if it doesn't happen this year, uh, I will have to find something else to do. But uh, let's wait and see and, uh, yeah, just just live day by day and uh, try to make it happen. It'll be an amazing story. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, certainly an incredible journey that he's been on. But I think finding out that he was kind of as surprised as we all were about his opportunity to come back was sort of surprising because I'd got the impression that Chris he was you know all the time fighting back and looking at that Formula One spot so interesting to hear that it was just sort of out of the blue a little bit well five years ago we were thinking he'd never drive a Formula One car uh, again so yeah definitely uh, a surprise for us it's nice to know that it was a surprise for him as well Uh, so Matt are you are you saddened now when you hear the optimism in his voice well a bit but Honestly, although I don't think in some ways it may have been the optimum choice for Williams, it was by far the most rational choice, given the amounts of money involved that everybody was playing with, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. I'm not surprised that he hasn't gotten the drive at all. I mean, you you spent six years out of F1 through injury. You need to ease yourself back into it you know I'm, I'm almost slightly surprised they haven't found a formula 2 drive for him this year just to kind of bring him back up to speed with single seater racing interesting and that point will definitely come up in a little bit but let's just get the whole story of williams because the cubitsa story fits into this a bigger narrative of what's going on with one of formula one's most iconic clubs and um, clubs oh it's football uh, teams and jake sanson also caught up with paddy Lowe at the same time so uh, let's hear from paddy now so we're here on the red carpet of the autosport awards and with me is one of the technical directors at williams it is paddy Lowe. paddy great to have you here at the autosport awards thank you very much great to be here 
So obviously there's a lot of new stories running around the Williams team for next year, as in who's going to be alongside Lance Stroll. But let's talk about the progress that's been made through the season with Felipe and with Lance. It's been a great opening campaign for Lance, getting the podium in Baku, and Felipe has bowed out on a high. Everything seems to be really buzzing at Williams for a good 2018 season ahead. Yeah, we had a, uh, a mixed season, but had some really good high points, as you mentioned. Um, we had the only podium of the year that wasn't scored by the top three, actually, with um, Lance in Baku. Also, his uh, front row uh, qualifying position in, from the wet qualifying in Monza was a, a real high. Uh, and Felipe also had a great season. Uh, I had not worked with him before this year, but by all accounts, he was operating at, at, the, at the very... Uh, highest level we've seen in his whole career so it was great great to work with both of those drivers um, but we want to make a step forward next year fifth is is not where we want to be um, uh, we're designing our new car obviously and hope, hope to make some progress with that and move further up the grid um, now, you've worked with a lot of rookie drivers and world champions over the last few years just how do you rank Lance Stroll I mean, his first year, he's had some good races, some poor ones. He's had things out of his control more times than one over the course of the year. Where do you rank him in terms of his raw ability as a driver? Well, I don't rank drivers ever on sort of numbers. Um, They're all different. They all have different uh, strengths and weaknesses. I think what's intriguing with Lance is that uh, he's shown tremendous talent uh, on occasion um, and other times really struggled, and it's been a difficult year. The cars are very difficult to drive, as we know. Some of the, you know, these are the most performant cars in the history of the sport. So I think, uh, in his case, what's uh, great is to try and focus on on the good stuff and see if we can make that up here every weekend. Um, you know, still go back to the qualifying in the wet in in Monza. You know, it's often said that what a driver can do in the wet is a sign of his real talent, and uh, we saw there that there was no no smoke and mirrors there that that was his pace um you know he put the car there in p3 and then promoted to p2 um with grid penalties so you know that was that was genuine pace and now of course we've got this merry-go-round with robert kubitzer paul de resta pascal verline danny kiviat all in contention for the seat it must be a difficult proposition when you're this close to the new car and obviously you need to get the data in there and we still don't know who the second driver is going to be i mean is there a closer development to that or is it still up in the air at the moment it's something we're working on um, and we'll let you all know in, in good time I know there's a lot of focus on it because we're the last seat left to be declared for 2018 um, but you know it's it's actually an interesting process you know driver is one of the most important employees in the team and uh, I think it's very exciting to have all those different possibilities well we know it's Williams so they'll make the right decision we wish you all the best for 2018 Paddy thanks for talking to us thank you very much thank you well wasn't it interesting Jake asked actually a really great question which is where do you rank Lance Stroll and Obviously, he's not going to come out and go, looked a bit shaky there at points. Uh, I thought he was going to avoid the question. But actually, Chris, he did answer it pretty honestly, but then just turned around and tried to highlight the good things. But he didn't turn around and go, nah, he's on the pace. No, exactly. I mean, I think he pretty much answered uh, the question how most people would answer a question about uh, Lance Stroll in that he's still a a little bit of an enigma uh, about where uh, his abilities Lie. He's obviously a fine racing driver, um, but whether you know he was quite ready for F1 last year, or whether he still is, uh, you know, ready for F1 and in, going into 2018. So yeah, that's that's one to look out for this season. I feel. Yeah, but Matt, 
there was never any doubt that Stroll was going to be uh, almost their number one driver this season. So that's a question no one was asking. It was obviously all about the the second driver. And we all thought it was going to be Robert Kubica. And, and in the end, he was deemed not rich enough. Oh, oh, can we edit that? I mean, not fast enough. Um, but look, the, the lap times were slower, reportedly, than Sergei Sorokin. And he's not fun, as funded. So can we really blame Williams at all? Well, you can always blame Williams. If it doesn't turn out well, it will be totally their fault for having made this choice. But the reality of the matter is Kubica has been out of the sport for six years. And in those six years, the biggest thing that has changed about the cars in a lot of ways has been the tires and how they work. And this has been, according to all accounts, what has caught him out the most. And even though he made progress from drive to drive to drive and everyone said he was getting better... The fact of the matter is you're taking somebody who is a veteran, who has an injury, who's been out of the sport for six years. And if you sign him to be your second driver, you're betting that he will really be able to master the tires. Now, the flip side of that for Williams is that by all accounts, the engineering staff there love him for the feedback he provides. And they are in desperate, desperate need of that feedback as they seem to have really lost their way with the uh, car um, over the last few seasons, um, whether it's wind tunnel correlation issues or other things. And maybe Patty has sorted it out. Maybe he hasn't. But having somebody with uh, Kubitz's ability to communicate with the engineers in a race seat in a, on a regular basis will go a long way towards helping Williams build the car they have the funding to build, quite frankly. That's an interesting picture he's painting there, Chris, because they're almost saying that they surely they didn't string him along. There was a genuine chance he was going to be there, but now that he doesn't have that ultimate one lap pace, they've decided to fall back on his feedback. He's sort of turned into just what a career test driver now till he's forty. Like who was the the Ferrari guy who kept doing the the test driver role till he was forty? Luca Badoa. Luca Badoa. So is that where we're putting Kubica now? No, no. I don't. I mean, Williams definitely wanted Kubica in the seat. Uh, but I mean, they were compromised by how little time they had to evaluate both drivers. The only uh, comparison they were able to make was during the post Abu Dhabi tire test when they had both Sirokin and Kubica and driving. And it was based off of that test uh, that the analysis was m- made that Sirokin was not only quicker in short run, but the long run pace uh, as well. So in, in both key areas, Sorokin was was quicker. That's a fact. Um, so in regards to you know choosing between those two, uh, it was the lap time that, that came down to it. But Kubica, in, in taking this development role, yeah, I'm sure he'll be good for the development of the car. Um, but I like the fact that he's he is easing himself back into uh, F1. He's not ruled out the potential of a future drive. So... For all we know, we could see him back in a full-time race role uh, once he's uh, ironed out the issues. So the issue that Matt is pointing at is he's saying it is just all about the tyres. But Matt, that does kind of still point to the fact that they've made the right decision because if he's not good at driving with these tyres yet and these tyres are part of modern Formula 1, that unfortunately means he's not a good enough race driver to be in the championship next season so again it's really hard to criticize Williams for not picking Kubica 
see how specific I'm being. Uh, there is reason to criticize Williams, but just not for that particular shout. Well, again, it's a question of where are you going to shade your choice? The thing about Kubica is we know that he comes, he, he has been at, when he was at his peak, one of the best drivers on the grid. That's a bold claim. And, That's a bold claim, so, Matt. It's uh, a true one, though. I, I have found some evidence to support it coming from, I don't know, this driver called Lewis Hamilton. Maybe you've heard of him. I have heard of him. And whilst I respect Lewis Hamilton's opinion greatly, there has been a, a massive kind of seed change in how the internet, which is where we spend our time, uh, Facebook posts, Twitter posts, etc., uh, from even like a few months ago, when he was doing the Renault tests, Mark Hughes wrote an article saying, in the generation of Hamilton, Alonso, blah, 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 Kubica was the best of them all. And I remember reading the comments uh, below that tweet, and it was all, you're nuts, you're an idiot. We were all there in 2010, 20, 2009, etc. And we don't remember that. And then slowly but surely, there's been a groundswell of hype where suddenly, almost now, suggesting that he wasn't uh, the next Senna um, is almost heresy. Are you just setting me up to go read the quotes that I found from 2008 from Hamilton? It's what I do, man. It's what I do. I'll make you look good. You make me look good. Okay, Hamilton. Kubica is a contender. This was in Eurosport, by the way, if you're interested. He is convinced Kubica is in the title. Um, here we go. I quote, I think he's always been a title contender from race one when he qualified second on the grid. I've always known he's got great talent and he would be strong as soon as BMW pulled their socks up. And they have done. The Telegraph, sensational Kubica in the 2008 Formula One Championship. Sauber's Kubica has the ability and determination to threaten again. BBC Sport headline, why Robert Kubica is arguably the best driver in Formula One. That's from October 12, 2010. Shall I continue? Keep on going? Ah, Here's Hamilton again uh, from a Polish website. For years, I have told everyone that he will come to Formula One one day because he has three qualities needed to achieve this goal that would be a world champion. Talent, faith in his own abilities, and focus on hard work. I consider him a driver who is infernally fast, never forgives, rides on the edge of risk, but fair. And that's your own Lewis Hamilton making these quotes back in the day. So this is not part of the current internet hype. That is absolutely true. I mean, at the very, very worst, uh, bar you know, without the accident um, that he had, Kubica would have been one of the greatest F1 drivers not to win a world championship. Uh, I would have expected him to win a world championship. I mean, can you imagine him at Lotus in 2012, uh, potentially with uh, Raikkonen or Grosjean? That would have been uh, pretty, pretty epic. Um, but the thing is, that's not the same Kubica we have anymore, is it? But but stop uh, there, Chris, because. I kind of understand that that sentiment and I'm sympathetic to it. I know he's very popular, but if we just use our reason, uh, we could say that we are exercising some confirmation bias here because I'm sure there are many drivers who have had lots and lots of potential, had really dynamic starts to their Formula One careers in the first three, four, five years, um, and then petered out. Had any one of those had their career cut short, you might have been able to dig back and find those same quotes about that because potential is so much easier to have than fulfilling it. And you're having to create this narrative. Imagine if he was at Lotus. Imagine if he was here. It's not something tangible we can really hold on to. And I think it certainly is not unique. I mean, Hulkenberg was pegged to be the next great thing, was he not, by a, a big corner of the internet? Probably still could be if he was given the right machinery. 
But here's the thing. I think the difference is with Kubica, we're not really talking about potential. He didn't show up and have flashes of inspiration in a career that was a year or two long. You're talking about somebody who led the title. You're talking about someone who Hamilton acknowledged coming through the karting ranks all the way up into the Formula One ranks as being somebody who had the ability and potential to be a world champion. He does not say that about everyone, to my knowledge. And he said it in the day when he was racing against him. And that that's why I think it's a little bit, while I would agree with you regards the current internet hype, totally, if you go back and look in the day, we can see that he was rated, he would have been on the level of a Vettel or an Alonso or, or, or maybe a Ricciardo. Somebody like that, I think, is a fair comparison. Whether he would have continued to race at that level or gotten lazy, well, you know, that, that's a hypothetical no matter how you slice it. But what we also know is that much like Hamilton, Kubica did come to Formula One without a lot of backing and without a lot of money. So my money would be on he would not have gotten lazy. The closer he got, the harder he would have worked. NS2589 in the chat room says, Hamilton is right. Back in his day, Kubica was as good as anyone. He is just past his prime and can't keep pace with uh, all the young blood. And that's fair. I mean, he's not a dissimilar age to me and I struggle at five aside. I mean, he, he definitely is, you know, past it now. And as much as Kubica will say that he doesn't have any uh, limitations in driving the car. Age. The fact is, he, he does. He does because of his injury. There yeah. are limits to what he can do uh, and it's it's up to this kind of rehabilitation process if you like of of now that now that he's sort of over the injury there's the rehab of getting back into uh, a single seater racing car we absolutely uh, the guys who consistently were in formula one struggled as they got to his age and beyond so having that gap is is critical christopher fonseca says he was leading the championship in a mediocre bmw so that further enforces matt's point uh, and was properly set to take the ferrari seat in fact uh, i think i heard that he, he had an agreement to be alonso's teammate um pre-signed if you like um and it philip allen points out renault didn't pick kubica in early 2017 as well. I'll get to that in a second. Don Byrne, fair point spanners, but unlike Hulk, Kubica won a race. Loads of good points from the chat room. Obviously a very, very popular guy. But if we go to what Karun Chanduk said uh, about him, he said, and this is, I think, fair, he's had plenty of chances in 2017 to prove he was fast enough, Matt. And he, he just, unfortunately, he just failed to do that. Well, okay, fair enough. I wouldn't disagree. Sorotkin was faster. But for Williams, to me, and this is this is the crux of it. If you go with Kubica, you're going with an unproven quantity. You do not know if he's going to be able to get on top of the tires and deliver the lap times you need. If you go with Sorotkin, he is also an unproven quantity who comes with more money and more immediate pace. Now what they've done, and and this really to me is fascinating, is they've signed Kubica. For for uh, quite a number of free practices yep. and to be the development driver. So if Sorotkin fails, he's right there. And if he gets and if he does get on the top of the tires and is faster, then I think it's one and done for Sorotkin. And you're going to see a uh, good old Bobby K back in that driver's seat. And here's the crucial thing for Robert Kubica fans to hang on to. He is and Williams have confirmed he is the reserve race driver. And we see reserve race drivers in races all the time. So don't give up hope. You could be seeing your man in a Grand Prix 
before you know it. Um, okay, so let's move away from Kubica. They've, they've not picked him. However, Williams have had to make other decisions. Go on, Matt. Go on, jump in. Your first, uh, the first time you've stopped me rolling onto a bumper in 2018. Congratulations. Uh-huh. Thank you very much. I was going to say uh, faster than you can say Giovinazzi, you can see a reserve driver in Formula One. There we go. Can uh, I play my bumper now? Oh, Chris wants uh, to interrupt as well. Oh, this is a cluster. Well, I think it, we need to kind of address how we get how we ended up getting down to Sorokin and Kubica uh, anyway. Uh, and I know this is something you've brought up a lot, Spanners, which is when you've got the likes of Verline and Kvia and Deresta uh, without, without a seat for for 2018 and it's important to stress how the commercial package played a significant role in williams uh decision and when i say commercial package i don't just mean you know financial backing i really i wish i'd put that in the show notes chris oh i did in this bit just down here where i say williams decision (laughs) Oh, Chris, I've missed you. I was looking you. at the wrong bit. You were. It's okay. Yes, Williams did have a big decision to make. And I had a decision to make. Was humiliating you worth getting my bumper in? I clearly decided yes. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Um, they have picked the finances. And also, they have come out as a team and they've decided to just present this united front. Williams tweeted... Here's our driver decision. There was a minute-long video with Claire Williams, who I I enjoy listening to. Uh, She seems a very, very intelligent woman. This video was not good. Um, And I I don't mean it to be mean, but she had a minute-long video justifying the decision to hire Sergei Shirokin over Paul Dresta, over Kubica, and over Pascal Wehrlein. Now, when you have two proven Grand Prix drivers. And I know people will say that Paul DeResta is less that because he hasn't had much experience in this hybrid era, era, but he is a race driver who did not look out of place in F1, a real F1 driver. And much more recently, Pascal Wehrlein, whilst maybe not the next Lewis Hamilton or Fernando Alonso, is certainly a Grand Prix driver with experience and pace. When you pick Sergei Sorokin out of GP2 over those two guys, and he comes with a reported $15 million uh, uh, bursary. I don't know if that's the right term. You are picking him for financial reasons. So this minute-long video where Claire laid out how good he is at engineering, I don't know if they mentioned his engineering degree and all his feedback and how she was so hopeful for the future, it really just left a, a bitter taste in my mouth, especially when it's an establishment such as Williams that I have been a fan of since about 1986. The the thing about that though is everything she said is true. Oh, you know, absolutely, they're all truisms. You know, it, no, but it, it is absolutely true. But when you've got Verline and Sorokin, who uh, apparently initially were bringing the same sort of um, table uh, money to the table, uh, I, I believe Sorokin's initial. Uh, offering was around the same as Kibitza's, about eight million. And then when they asked him if he had any more, that's when he bumped it up to to fifteen uh, oh, million. Really? Uh, yeah. And so, you know, that I guess that eased the decision um for them. You know, what I was saying about a commercial package, you know, we've been talking so much about a Kubitza comeback story that that in itself would have just generated so many commercial opportunities for the team that even if he was bringing less money to the table, they would have more than made up 
for that. And so the reason that we're not seeing the Durestas, the Verlines, and the Kvyats, it that decision was probably very, very largely significantly based on the finances. No. And that's, that's how you ended up with, you know, Sorokin and Kubica in, in the first place. I just think it's interesting to dissect how we went, came from, you know, these five or six drivers who were contenders down to these two quite unlikely ones, in my opinion. It's a great point. Uh, yeah, Matt. Yeah, well, I would go with the surprise to me is Kvyat being overlooked in all this. I'm surprised he couldn't come up with the funding. And I'm very surprised somebody with his level of race experience, someone who was fast in a Red Bull and who would therefore have had access to a lot of what was learned by Red Bull and then at Toro Rosso, didn't even seem to get serious consideration. I mean, he could, Kvyat was fast. He earned his third in China. And you could see with Williams a chance at real redemption for him. I mean, even 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 Franz Toast was was willing to admit that like, the, the kid deserves to be in Formula One. It just didn't work out with his particular team. I mean, Verline makes even more sense, given that he is a Mercedes driver. Um, Williams are a Mercedes customer. So it's, yeah, worth, it's, it's worth pointing out that Joe Saywood, friend of the show, Joe Saywood, do you think we can say that yet? Uh, wrote an article basically saying that Williams are going back to their traditional path of spending money on the engineers and the engineering rather than the drivers. Chris, I know you're dying to get in, but let's just play this out a little bit because I slightly disagree. There is a difference between not paying superstar wages and out and out bringing in not just one pay driver, but two pay drivers. Okay, the the idea of pay drivers is, uh, I hate addressing this because every driver is a pay driver. Okay, this is not a cheap sport. Every single driver comes with significant financial backing, whether it's because their family's rich or because they've got the backing of sponsors and companies and businesses and whatnot. It is just a fact of racing. Uh, and, whoa, and whoa, whoa. Guess- okay, before you move on, let's say that there is a difference. There is a difference between a youngster who is really talented getting picked up on a program, for example, and a kid who has just been pushed through at every level with family money. There is a difference. You you might be right. You do need funding to get to every level, but there is a difference. When we talk about pay driver, let's be clear. We're talking Stroll, Palmer, No, uh, no, but here's the thing. If you are not a talented racing driver, you will be found out so quickly. Your sponsors will pull out and you will get no further. Not if your sponsor is your dad. That's not true. If your sponsor is your dad and he's a billionaire, he'll push you through at every level. Go on, let Matt yell at me for a bit. Did I just hear somebody mention the word Ericsson somewhere? <laughs> Go on, Chris. Defend your incorrect point. I've, I, I've forgotten what the point <laughs> yeah. is. You're making. Saying, now, you were saying everyone's a pay driver. <laughs> and I just I agree with you to some extent, but I'm just saying there are degrees of it. And so let's not mischaracterize when I say pay driver. You know who I'm talking about. Okay, right, fine. But that's not to say that, you know, Sorokin isn't a, a good racing driver. I mean, if I was if I was going to be brutally honest, I would say all three of Williams' drivers for this year are suboptimal. Fair. Fair. Yeah, well, again, we have the unknown quantity of Kubica. Will he get on top of the tires? Or Sorokin, will he be able to race to the times that he puts down on laps. Now, I think if I understand correctly, you might actually play some racing games there, Spanners. One or two. Did you ever notice this thing where when you're on the track by yourself, like setting up your car, 
you can go faster. And then when you go and do an actual race, even, even if you get ahead of everyone and you're in clean air, do you notice that your lap times are never quite as quick as when you're in the track by yourself? No, he's cut to the core of me. And, and, and this is the thing. I think this is, you know, this is a trade-off with Kubica. You're going to guess that he's going to get closer to his optimum lap time because he has the race experience at the Formula One level. With Sorotkin, that's where your unknown quantity is. And this is what people would complain about with Massa and with other rookies. A lot of time, Grosjean, famously, as a rookie, was very fast, but very crash-prone. And that is the one thing that is going to be very difficult for Williams uh, to deal with. And that may be why he had to bring enough money to make up potentially for the points and chassis and wings and everything else that they're going to have to be replacing. Uh, Jeansy's come into the chat room and said that uh, big name sponsors put their money uh, behind someone they can get a return on and they get that because they have proven themselves. Um, so kind of backing up what I was saying. Not, not really. I think he's actually backing up what think, I'm saying I, because he's, he's, he's looking at people like he's talking about people like Massa, Perez, people who come with money but are rated by those sponsors. I'm so glad you brought up Perez because Perez, like a Sergio Perez is what Williams needed, isn't it? <laughs> you know, somebody with a lot of money and a lot of talent as well, it turns out. But the thing, the thing with the money though, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, you kind of brought it up because Williams are trying to, you know, make a, a long-term uh, gain in all this. You know, it, it it's not, it, like you keep saying, it's not a cheap sport and any extra money they can, they can get out of Sorokin it will go into the development pot. You know, just to kind of survive, you know, your sponsors will take care of that. But then in terms of actually improving the car and your infrastructure, you need that extra um, backing. Jeansy confirms I'm backing spanners. Chris, you'll okay, never have you made your point terribly then, Jeansy. <laughs> that just makes no sense to me. Trumpets. Yeah. Or, or the money will go into the uh, replacements bin for all the things that he breaks. But but I think the point that Jeansy was trying to make and that spanners are making is very clear. The return on the money to the sponsors has to do with how many units they can move based on using that person in their PR and in their advertising. It has nothing whatsoever to do with where they finish in a race. If I sponsor a Formula One driver, I don't get extra money if they win a race. I get extra money when they do ads for my company and when people want to invest in my company because they want to be around this person because they have that hype and reputation. It's got doesn't really have so much to do with their actual results on the racetrack. Ouch, Christopher Fonseca in the chat room. Surely any extra money Williams make will be spent on babysitters when they want to leave the drivers at home for the weekend. Uh, but hey, it is a valid choice to take that money and try to engineer uh, their way out of uh, you know the mid-table and get themselves up to the front. What I worry is that it, it is going to be quite demotivating for the team. Sure, they can spend money you can go all down these different routes. You can explore all these different aerodynamic options. But at the end of the day, you might have two drivers who can't get the potential out of the car. And then you're going to have 300 frustrated engineers wondering why they bother. I think right now, Williams need the, in the improved engineering. Because since 2014, the results have been getting worse and worse and worse and showing no sign of improving. So what's, what would be the point in signing uh, an Alonso or a Hamilton if they had uh, the chance if the car physically cannot do better than eighth place in a race? Philip Allen, if Williams end up eighth or ninth in the championship next year, then what? And that's a fair point. It's also a possibility. 
the lap time deficit that Lance Stroll has to a top, top driver is potentially enough to just wipe out any engineering gains they make with that money. And also, they're going to lose out on championship money for a second year in a row. I think you're selling Lance a little bit short there. <laughs> no, he's off pace. And until he shows that he's not off pace, that, that is the reality of William's situation. Not knocking the lad. I'm sure he's trying. He's a gentleman. He goes about his racing the right way. He's not knocking anyone off track. But the pure lap time isn't there right now. Race pace isn't bad. Qualifying is the real issue for him. Unless it's at Monza and it's wet. Fair enough. Hey, tell you what, let's like, let's, let's tell, oh my God, I really am truly just rusty. I've forgotten how to talk. I've got a commentary gig at the weekend. It's just shocking. Okay, let's listen to somebody who does know how to speak. And his name is Karun Chanduk. Still down here on the red carpet at the Autosport Awards, shouting to Karun Chandok. Karun, good to see you again. Nice to see you. I wish I brought my coat. <laughs> it's got cold now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's freezing now, but anyway. So, no, it's always nice to be here. Off the back of an incredible 2017 season, one of the best for quite a long time, I think lots of people agree. I mean, how amazing has it been to be in the course of the paddock watching this amazing bout between Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel all year? Well, it's been a long time since we've had two teams in contention. Um, you know, Mercedes have done an outstanding job in this V6 hybrid era. Um, and it's really nice to see someone else right up there. And, you know, Red Bull won some races. They, they, they got the car slightly wrong. They had a few issues early on in the season, but they started to come good. Max was brilliant, particularly in the last third of the season or last quarter. So, bodes well for the future. Um, yeah, it's just a, a really good season, I think, in general. I'm glad you mentioned Max Verstappen because I think a lot of people are talking about the fact that Red Bull could become a genuine cha- championship contender in next year. Do you think it could be three teams going at it next year? I think, I hopefully hope it's going to be four teams, to be honest, because if um, Renault get the power unit right, we should have McLaren up there. Um, they've got two very, very good drivers um, in their cars next year. So really, if Renault get it right, we should have Red Bull and McLaren along with Ferrari Mercedes. You know, that'd be, it'd be fantastic for Formula One to have four teams up there. Now, the, the mid-pack battle has been really impressive all season long, especially when you look at the likes of Force India, Williams, the Renault Works team, and Toro Rosso, all fighting in there in the mid-pack. What's really stood out for you in terms of how the teams have evolved during the course of the season? Who's really impressed you? I think the progress Renault have made, um, you know, since becoming a Works team, this year they've, they've made really, really good steps forward. The car was very competitive, especially since, I think, Silverstone onwards, they brought an update to the floor, uh, and they were very fast, but still fragile. You know, unfortunately, they were a bit unreliable. Um, but I think out of the midfield teams, you'd have to pick Force India as a standout. Um, you know, fourth place, more points than I think the next three teams combined. I think even at the end of the year, I believe. So uh, that's an outstanding achievement, really, for a team on their resource. You know, less resources than Renault, less resources than McLaren, similar to Williams, you'd have to say and punching well above their weight. So, uh, yeah, I think Andy Green um, and, and his team at Force India do a great job. Well, it's going to be an interesting night. Obviously, the International Racing Driver of the Year prize will be the one everybody will look for. If it was up to you, who would you give it to? It's quite hard to pick uh, anyone beyond Lewis, to be honest. Um, it's a boring answer, but the bloke's been outstanding this year. Uh, you know, he's... Um, it been, I think out of all his world championships, this has been his best one as a personal performance. No errors, no mistakes, uh, apart from that little quality shunt in, in Interlagos when the championship was done anyway. 
Um, he's been brilliant this year. And I think his qualifying laps, if you look at in Suzuka, Malaysia, Silverstone, they come to mind, uh, have been brilliant. Uh, and they've really laid the foundations for his success. So hard to look beyond him, really. Well, it's great to hear your insight. I know you want to get inside out of the cold. So thank you very much, Karun, for talking to us. Thank, thank you. Yeah, you get blondie instead. <laughs> I tell you what, Karun Chanduk is number two on the list of F1 media personalities that I want to be my mate. Uh, he just, he's, okay, he, he's fair enough. He doesn't go out of his way to offend anybody, but he's just such a solid kind of person to just narrate F1. And I just kind of think, oh, I'd, I'd love to sit down and just have a brew. Not even a drink. I'm going to sit down and have a cup of tea with Karun. Who's number one on that list? Steve Jones. Oh, of course. You just want to, you want to bask in his reflected glory. Of course you do. I don't watch Channel 4. Oh, you should. Okay, so when Steve Jones came into Channel 4, everyone went, the guy off E4, what is going on? And then Steve Jones just came in and said, do you know what? We have to do the voice. Do you know what, boy? Oh, I'm just going to make Formula One more like me. And then he did. Uh, An example to us all. Uh, Okay, let's move on. Let's do a little bit of housekeeping. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Chris, we've actually got a lot going on uh, in 2018, and we're going to make some changes with the live stream. We've had a lot of video and graphical work done for both this and for e-radio show that you and Matt have been doing, I think it's long overdue that we give a big shout out to Steve Amy in Australia and Felix Bowen in Sweden, who have provided all the beautiful images that people get to look at when they come to our YouTube channel. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's some exciting stuff in the in the pipeline for 2018, isn't there? 
and uh, they do do a fantastic job. They make us look great. There we go. And people will be pleased to know that this moving flag background is disappearing. Uh, I did have more than one person say, if you're watching Mist Apex live whilst drunk, it can actually make you feel seasick, which is something I had not accounted for. Um, okay, so uh, thanks very much to those guys. Uh, we could not uh, have gotten as far as we have without... Um, have I pronounced it wrong again? Uh, Bolin. Sorry, Felix Bolin. Danish names are so hard to pronounce. Uh, anyway, so uh, there's a lot we're doing, Chris, as we go forward. We're going to do some real-life stuff as well. You, me, Jeansy, Bradley Philpott have all expressed an interest, and I think Catman, who does our quizzes as well, in doing Mist Apex Live. What do you think about that? Oh, I love the idea of it. It's it's just going to be a new experience, I think. You know, we've got to got to keep things uh, fresh and exciting, and uh, I think it'll be a good chance for for the listeners to uh, to get involved as well. Well, I'm not expecting huge crowds or anything like that, but what I'm thinking is that we will book a venue within a drinking establishment that has a room where we can set up a podcasting table uh, and maybe some entertainment, some kind of tabletop racing game, something like that. We're not going to charge people to come in, um, but if you are interested in coming down and just watching us record uh, a podcast live, unfortunately, without Matt Trumpets, unless we get really good internet, uh, then just let us know. Contact me in some way and let me know that coming down and seeing us talk about F1 in person and having a drink with us, of course, is something that you would like to do. So uh, you can email me at spannersready at gmail.com. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at spannersready. And I have my DMs wide open, so slide on in there. Uh, get in touch with the crew as well if you want to. At Mist Apex F1 also has its DMs open. Uh, or you can comment on any of the site posts, any of the Facebook posts. Uh, we watch them all. So very early in the season, we want to get together uh, for a social more than anything. But we will also record a podcast. Let us know if you want to join us. And that would be in the London area. Uh, the other thing we're doing next week is we are karting. You and me, Chris, we're going to be at Daytona with 30 other contributors, listeners and friends. And we, in fact, have a like waiting list of like seven or eight people as well. So really, really pleased with the response to that. Uh, we want to do more. We want to do bigger. So get in touch with me again if you're interested in coming karting on future events. Um, and, uh, and we'll make sure that we do maybe quarterly karting events. But Chris, you're going down. Ah, seconds out round two. I'm ready but, for this. Uh, but you were so be... far behind on the first one. It wasn't even I funny. I never got a clean lap. That's because clean... you're not very good at karting. No, because I went out at the back of the queue. And I, I, I tell you what, if you put me up at the at the front, just give me some clear air straight out of the, out the baton, then I will Sorokin you. So, yes, we are going to Daytona, Milton Keynes. But, okay, I'm going to request that you go out the front so that you have absolutely no excuses. Oh, um, it's going to backfire, isn't it? <laughs> but let's say, let's say I do beat you. Uh, you have said to me reasonably that I have had an extra lesson from Bradley Philpot at a go-kart track about how to Not go faster. An extra lesson. You've had a lesson. I've had none. And it was like a one-to-one tuition from one of the best driving instructors, race instructors in the whole country. And he took seconds off me straight away and he kept taking time off me with every word so you've got a point so we are going to go down to the border of england and wales uh, to a go-kart track which we will announce soon and you and i we're going to take cameras and we are going to film bradley philpot giving both you and i karting lessons then uh, advice on where we went wrong some consolidation laps and then a final race off and there will be no excuses from that point on chris 
No, it's going to be proper gloves off. You and me on a level playing field for once. Come in, Matt. Yeah, I'll I'll be there. Buy me a ticket. Stop! Stop making that your condition. I have no money. Oh, come on! They're cheap. You have an internet money tree. You can shake it. Internet money. You can support us on Patreon, and I promise I won't spend it on Matt's plane ticket. You can just go to mistapexpodcast.com and if you go to the about and support pages there, there is a direct link you can support us on Patreon and we would greatly, greatly appreciate that because we have big plans for 2018 and somebody else who has huge plans for 2018 is McLaren's reserve and test driver, Lando Norris. So we're still here on the red carpet, the Autosport Awards, and with me is Jake's McLaren, well, young yeah. gun, Lando yeah. Norris, and of course, European Formula 3 champion. What an amazing year it's been for you. No, it's, it's been a very good year for me. Um, winning Formula 3 my rookie season, uh, getting to drive some Formula 1 cars. Um, yeah, a, bit, a big season for me, and uh, hopefully for, for more in the future. And let's talk about the Formula 3 campaign. I was there at Poe when you were having an amazing weekend. I know, obviously, it's the one that got away. I know it's the one that got away, but you demonstrated that weekend that this is your moment, the time is here, and you are here not to make up the numbers. You are here to be taking over from Lewis Hamilton when he's done and dusted. You are the new man in. Yeah, I mean, I I try and do as well as I can. Um, That weekend was going very well. I think the team had done a great job all all weekend, and uh, we were very fast in qualifying. Um, and uh, very fast in the race, but got quite unlucky with a suspension failure. So quite disappointing for, for the Grand Prix because the team won the year before. <laughs> so I would have liked to kind of continue the, the, the winning streak for them there. But uh, yeah, there was plenty more other races where I won and made everyone happy. So um, yeah, it was a good season. And it was great to see at Macau when the championship was all done and dusted. You're in there in the fight for the victory. You came within a couple of tenths of it, and your immediate reaction is, I'm coming back next year. I'm doing it again. I want to win this one. I I want to come back next year. It's not a definite yet. Um, But uh, it's such a cool race. It's so fun, uh, so unique, and I think that's why every driver wants to to go and do it. But uh, again, that didn't go to plan. It wasn't as good as what I hoped. Still second, but... um, no, Macau is a race that everyone wants to go and go and win. And uh, for me, and I think for the package I had and everyone around me, I think the win was was very much on the cards. I just didn't perform as well as I should have done. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's hope to a, a 2018 or a 2019 drive there. Well, yeah, the next few weeks, I mean, you're going to be going to Daytona to race in the 24-hour, which is an amazing step for a British youngster like yourself. McLaren obviously will have you on the books again, and maybe even a Formula Two Championship title. I mean. It is so close now. I mean, this is something that you must have been watching Formula One ten years ago, thinking, "Wonder if that could be me." And now it's genuinely happening. Well, it wasn't even that long ago. I think even you know three, four years ago. Even then, I was thinking, "Gosh, this is a long way away." Um, you know, I'm kind of slowly progressing, but uh, yeah, it always seemed quite far away. But then, every time you take a small step, it seems to become still a lot closer. And uh, I still don't, you know, I'm not close enough yeah I'm not in Formula 1 but uh, I'm definitely the closest I've been you know I'm with McLaren and I should have some more opportunities next year to drive in, a, in an F1 car and see what I can do but uh, yeah I think it's a bit of a waiting game on, on um, hopefully getting a seat at McLaren but uh, around 2020 I think is the aim but um, yeah F2 next year and, and that's the aim to win do you know what it's going to be amazing we've had the Hamilton and Button era that's been and gone and now it's going to be the Norris and Russell era isn't it it's going to happen I can see it um, no, I definitely think you know George is a very good driver, and I'll be racing 
racing against him next year, so I definitely think it's going to be a good battle between us. Um, especially me joining Carlin, I feel like we might not start off the best, but just like F3, I think we'll progress a lot throughout the season, and um, hopefully by the the mid-season or a bit hard to say. We thought the same in F3, we, we kind of struggled a bit more and then progressed, but we came out with a bang and, and won in the first weekend, so um, yeah, I think uh, between me and George, it's going to be a fun year, and um, hopefully we go on to, to do more things. I think I speak for everybody listening when we say we can't wait to see you both in F1, getting on the top step of the podium. Lando, good luck tonight, and have a great, great season in 2018. Cheers, thank you. Oh my goodness, Chris, looking at that screen grab of uh, Lando Norris that we have there. He's so young. Am I am I just that old now? It's like police officers. Uh, when the potential F1 drivers start looking young, that means you're old and past it. But you uh, follow the junior series more than we do. Is this guy the sensation that he's being built up to be? Oh, yeah, de- most definitely. Most definitely. I have been watching this guy race since he was in Janetta Juniors. Uh, and and the, the, the that year when he won three different uh championships as well one of them being the toyota and um the other series i can't quite remember he just had an astonishing year the year that he won the um uh, the the autosport award and and got the uh got the mclaren test drive as well and then ever since then you know the 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 hype around this guy has just been exceptional and he really is a a, a big uh deal uh, and i i know we we've said this about a lot of guys in the junior categories i mean Martin Brundle was somebody who fought and center for a Formula 3 title um, back in 83. And then when they both got into Formula 1, Senna just found more than than what Brundle was able to. I think that's probably the most famous example of, you know, the difference between the junior categories and what actually happens when you get into F1. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how his, his full-time F2 campaign goes. Absolutely. And Bradley Philpott said that he was one of the most prepared young drivers coming into F1, even more so than Lewis Hamilton. But Matt, he is going to a difficult place. Uh, Is it a poison chalice where he's going? He's going to McLaren, who, of course, are about to announce a new sponsor soon. I don't know that McLaren so much is poisoned. The worry for me, uh, as with Williams, I guess, would be the finances, really. Uh, Because I don't know how long the backers answer OJ and... um, Sovereign Wealth Fund are going to be willing to sink huge amounts of money into a Formula One operation when they have a perfectly serviceable fancy road car division that is actually earning them a profit. And it has long been my contention that that road car division started all of McLaren's problems. And it might very well be the end of them having a shot at the sharp end of the field. They might be willing to settle for like Force India kind of performance. Um, because as we see from Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari, it takes quite an investment if you want to be world champion as a constructor. It's sad to hear because especially this year when they have now a Renault engine and they've been complaining about Honda so much, Matt, there there is no excuse now. The excuses are absolutely over with. And they've recently come out with their engineering department saying they've had two weeks of hell trying to repackage their chassis towards the different Renault philosophy because the turbo is now in the rear, so there's less room for the gearbox, less room for the suspension, but more room for fuel, which was an area where they definitely struggled with the Honda. But now they have that Renault, and now they've got rid of everything they were blaming uh, the lack of pace on last season. 
it's kind of a bit of a do or die. If we don't start seeing results in the first third of the season, it's going to kind of sour everything they've said for the last three years. Well, yes, and this is the case. This is very, very much the case in that they've really talked themselves into a corner. Now they say with Reno, we'll be like Red Bull. But if they're not, you have no one left to blame but yourselves at this point. Yeah, I think that if they're not aiming for third in the constructors, then what are they doing? Basically, you know, they kind of have to be aiming for the top Renault uh, power position. But uh, I, I don't think that, you know, if, if they don't beat Red Bull in the championship this year, I won't be surprised because obviously Red Bull have learned how to optimize the Renault engine, uh, you know, down to a, to a T, um, whereas McLaren have got a, a lot of learning um, to do. And they may suddenly find when they hit the road in testing that they, they come up with all sorts of issues um, now that they've had to basically repackage the entire rear end uh, of, of that car. It may not work with the design philosophy that they have and they have to work around that. You know, I know that we say that, you know, they've got a better engine now and that's it. They should just be going out and scoring podiums every single race, but it's not quite as uh, simple as that. It, it, it kind of is though. And I've had, I've had three years of people making excuses for McLaren. Again, a team I like and a team I want to do well. And I'm fed up of every time they score a seventh or do quite well in qualifying, the faint expectations that everybody has of them. It's like, yes, that was, that was the same as a victory. Well, that time, that time is over now. They've got everything they said they needed. The, the time where we can judge them by a mid-table team is over. We are now judging them for a top team. If they finish fourth in the World Constructors' Championship, that is a fail for McLaren no. Renault. Fail. Absolutely no. is. No, no, no. You would, expe- you would expect them to finish behind Red Bull in the championship this year almost. If they do, if they beat them, I will be surprised just because Red Bull have got the optimization with the Renault engine and McLaren are on, a, you know, a, a, an uphill uh task uh, with with something brand new and completely alien uh to them now you know that that's not to say you know by the by the sort of three halfway through the season three quarters of the way through the season yeah they should be on that pace absolutely but you know you've got to think of the season as a whole and you've also got to think what if, what if Renault haven't sorted out their reliability issues uh yet as well, well which well, is it'll, a, it'll a be the same for Red Bull thing. it'll be the same for Red Bull then Matt come on Last season, you were telling me McLaren, best chassis on the grid. No excuses. They are fighting with Red Bull. They need to be dicing with Red Bull race after race after race. I agree. They need to be, they need to at the very least be a clear fourth and well ahead of Force India, or they are underperforming what their expectations are. Given, the, given how much they talked up that Renault, if they cannot, if they cannot convert that into points, then then it's going to look really ugly for them. Speaking of ugly, no, I'm only joking. Speaking of tall, which is our next subject, we're going to talk about driver weights and total car weights. Uh, let's hear an interview now with Toro Rosso driver, Brendan Hartley. Brandon Hartley. Still here on the Autosport Awards red carpet and Brendan Hartley is with us. Brendan, what an incredible season. World Endurance Championship, Le Mans 24 Hours and Formula One all in one campaign. That's uh, the, living the dream right there. Yeah, it's been something for me. One I'll never forget. Um, I won't take for granted. Uh, yeah, it's all, all uh, still sinking in at the moment. I think the next few weeks when I put my feet up, when I finally get home to New Zealand, I'll be able to make a bit more sense of it. But 
yeah, it's been incredible, and I just can't wait to sink my teeth into next year and 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 uh, get my full Formula One debut under, you know, full Formula One season under underway. And the buzz back in New Zealand must be mega at the moment. I mean, you're the first Formula One driver from the country since Mike Thackwell. That must be quite an incredible achievement, and the country must be absolutely loving the hype right now. Yeah, there's been a huge amount of support back home, which has been great. I, I make an effort not to read too much press and uh, not believe everything that's written about myself, but the, the support's been huge, and uh, it, it's it's nice to have that. And um, but I'm just trying to focus on myself and staying calm, enjoying it, and, and uh, hopefully doing a good job next year. Of course, there's always going to be the talk about you being in Toro Rosso with the chance that maybe Dan Ricciardo or Max Verstappen may move on to one of the Ferrari or Mercedes seats in the future. That opens things up for the Red Bull senior seat and obviously a chance at the championship there. So could you even envisage 12 months ago that that kind of opportunity would open up again? Um, no. <clears throat> like everybody else, I didn't, I didn't see this coming and obviously the dream of Formula 1 was always there. But it seemed quite unrealistic and... I guess it, it proves dreams can come true, and, and uh, if you make the right call at the right time, then you know anything can happen. But yeah, I'm, I'm focused one step at a time at the moment. Okay, you mentioned Red Bull and, and further opportunities, but there's no reason Torosa can't can't grow into a, a team that can 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 fight for the podium as well. So look, I'm I'm just taking it one step at a time, but it's it's massively exciting for me, and and very pleased that I've I've uh, I've made it from one. It's amazing to have uh, a Porsche driver in World Endurance Championship make it back into Formula One. Brendan, we look forward to seeing you in 2018. Cheers, thank you. A massive credit goes out to Jake Sanson sitting out in the cold at the Autosport Award dinner, Chris. Uh, you know what it's like to sit there and try and get your, your microphone into people's faces and then the pressure when you do get them to actually ask sensible questions. No, usually where I do uh, interviews, they're lovely and warm. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm fine for, for that. So the reason I put Brandon Hartley's uh, interview there was because he's obviously a, a very tall driver. Uh, tell us about the potential changes in the weight management of Car Plus Driver. Well, there's a proposed idea uh, for the new set of regulations to separate car and driver weight. Currently, you have a minimum weight uh, of a car, but that includes um, the driver. And this, of course, puts a lot of pressure on taller drivers of course way more there's a bit more stress on the teams to make the car lighter to to fit the regulations and this was kind of a big talking point wasn't it when the when the when the hybrid era first began because the engines were so much heavier it was going to disadvantage the likes of uh nico hulkenberg and, and jensen button uh, the taller uh among the among the f1 um grid Oh, boo-hoo. Matt, cry me a river. Tall people get so many advantages. The only reason you were a good road racing cyclist is because you've got big, long levers. Why should I care how good or bad you you fare at motor racing? Actually, you would have had the advantage at cycling because your overall body mass is less than mine because I am taller. And interestingly enough, do you know who's meeting tomorrow? I hate these rhetorical questions. I'm not prepared. Tell me. Just give me the answer. The strategy group. And do you know what they're going to discuss? Damn, I knew that. And now I don't know this next question. Ah. Car and driver weights, amongst other things, uh, with the halo going on and everything else, uh, what we think of as a minimum weight right now may very well change yet again. Not the first time we've seen it, right, Mr. Stevens? No. No, no, most definitely not. I mean, was it? This is the moment. It's about 733 kilograms because of the halo which they think is worth maybe sort of five or six kilos um that's being added to the overall 
um, white of the car. Now, it's an interesting thing. I was on Twitter today. I know, shock, surprise. And uh, Red Bull had a thing out about the new technical regulations. And unless I misread it or misremembered it, I'm pretty sure they said it was 743 for the car weight. So perhaps they've tipped their hand a little bit by about 10 kilograms. Oh, wow. That would be awkward, wouldn't it? If they'd uh, made a car that was 743 kilograms and everyone comes up with a car that's 10 kilos uh, lighter. It would be a bit like when uh, uh, Renault Edam sat in the pit garage for 10 seconds longer than they needed to in, in Formula E race a few years ago. Well, no, no, no. They're saying that the minimum weight was 743, but that's actually not what it is in the regulations yet. Oh, okay. Oh, that's probably what they're bringing to the table there. Actually, while we're talking about uh, like things that teams have put out there uh, in, in terms of 2018 regulations, I came across one from Ferrari that says the positioning of the uh, of the T wing is under review, which is which to me that says it's sticking around in a just in a different place. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Summers uh, says that Ferrari may be just blowing some smoke to confuse everybody. But I want to keep it on topic for a second. Uh, we're talking about these weight limits. But of course, there, there's the, the thing is now that the weight limit is for the combined car and driver. So somebody like um, Pascal Verline was it, was complaining that Ericsson was 10 kilograms lighter than him throughout that season. But that brings up an overall concept. Should we be caring that a taller or heavier driver is overweight because as far as I'm concerned, tall people can just cry off. Uh, when I play basketball, the tall players don't crouch down to help me out. When I'm playing badminton, the tall players aren't restricted how high they can just reach and smash the shuttlecock at my five foot seven frame. I could never be a goalkeeper, even though I loved jumping around and I've got good hand-eye coordination. But there's no outrage. No one is talking about my rights to be a goalkeeper and what we can do to make goals smaller. For me, why do we even care? A heavier person is going to do worse in a motor car. And how much ballast do you suppose you have to run, or do you suppose Bradley has to run, were he to be racing you on even terms? And as and if Bradley Philpott was here, he would say to me and Alex Van Jean, why am I being penalized for being the correct weight for my sport? It's an interesting point, isn't it? Because uh, you wouldn't expect you know, a, a flyweight boxer to go and uh, beat the, the heavyweight boxer in a, in a, in a straight fight. You know, there's a class system there for, for a reason. And it's actually, mm -hmm. it's, it's quite a nice sporting philosophical question it's that I don't is. really have the answer. So if to. I say, Chris, we're going to go and play badminton, Matt, we're going to go and play badminton. We go to either side of our courts and we pick up a racket and we hit the same shuttlecock. If we're going to play football and I do play football against some big guys, we go, we play exactly the same conditions now we're going to go and compete in a motor car we go and get in the same car why suddenly do i need to be penalized okay okay well okay if we're being formula one specific here and this is where formula one defies the meaning of sport because people have different machinery don't they they're not all racing in the same car if you were talking about uh you know uh, uh, formula two uh, well, no, they, they have the same chance to compete in the same car, in the same sport, they're climbing the same ladder. So, no, you, what you, you're suddenly expecting the Sauber's going to be at Mercedes? No, no, but the guy who starts in Sauber is is trying to climb up to Mercedes, the same as the big heavy guy who's trying to climb up to Mercedes. Right, but you, you, you know, you lose that comparison, then, don't you? Because everyone's using different machinery. So, in a way, you know, it's a sport that incorporates 
you know, competition in, in on a more technical level as well. In terms of just pure driving, it's 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 not really a sport in that sense. Come on, Matt, go and defend tall people. I shall defend tall people. If we are playing badminton, are we not on the same court? If we we are playing the court tennis, is the same size. The same court. Yes, but if your body, playing, your body. If we are playing. If we are playing, I'm going to talk over you. you. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. If, if we are playing football, either variety, are we not on the same field? Yes, but if you were well, in badminton, you can hit the shuttlecock about eight inches higher than I can. How's that fair? It has not. Uh, how high I can hit the shuttlecock has not much to do with how tall I am. However, how fast I can go around a track is directly related to the total amount of the weight the car is. So to me, the car is the field and the driver is the talent. You and I on a football field, well, frankly, at my age, you'd probably clean my clock, although I may have a few surprises for you. But put us both in a car with ballast, then then it would be then then we'd see who's quicker, wouldn't we? No, not at all. No, in no other sport do we make concessions. Every other sport has an ideal physicality. Basketball, boxing, bowling, wrestling, boxing, boxing, wrestling, UFC. They all have weight classes and they have those weight classes for a reason. So you're competing on the same playing field, on the same level playing field as your competitor. And this is why the weight is an issue for Formula One. Now, frankly, anybody who follows Formula One is going to tell you the cars themselves are massively overweight. They need to drop about 100 kilos. But the reason to be concerned about the added weight of the halo on the driver is, and we saw this several years ago, I don't know if you remember, there was a year where all the drivers who were above you know, the size of, say, Massa got very, very skinny, and it became an issue that they were losing so much weight to keep the car under the minimum weight so they could put ballast, that they were beginning to be afraid that people might actually lose consciousness during the race because they, they had so little body fat left. Well, this is and it. If it was all... That's an issue. And I'm going to talk over That's... you. If there was all oh. about mass, then we could put a little child in there. But at some point, you have to do your body mass versus your strength. And I mean, I took the kids karting at the weekend, and my, my kid is very small. So uh, my boy's small. My little girl's even smaller. Uh, that should be an advantage in the future. But they were up against a really big six-year-old, and he could just wrestle that steering wheel left, right, bang, bang. Whereas my kids were kind of having to shuffle the wheel because they couldn't get their arms all the way over. So physicality is an issue in motor racing. I know people don't like to believe it is. It is. So ultimately, if you get a very, very small person, they might struggle to to control that car ultimately. So there, w- there will be a balance. There will be an optimal size, as there is for every sport. And I, and I just don't understand why Formula One is special and we need to make concessions for those poor tall people who get made CEOs and get promoted over us and have long, healthier lives and are generally considered more attractive. Boo, tall people. Yay, racing drivers. Let's hear what the boss of Formula One has to say or had to say in December at Autosport. So here on the red carpet at the Autosport Awards and with me is the man behind Formula One's turnaround. It's Chase Carey of Liberty Media. Chase, First of all, a huge thank you for everything you gave us in 2017. I mean, the Lewis Hamilton versus Sebastian Vettel showdown. What a brilliant first year for Liberty Media in F1. <laughs> well, I'm not sure we could take too much credit for the two of them competing. I think they deserve that credit. But it was an exciting year. You know, we'd love to have it gone to Abu Dhabi. But, um, you know, but the competition was great. Um, although we hope to make it better. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I think one of our, you know, true objectives is to continue to build on that competition and build on the action and make sure the sport on the track delivers 
everything it can and should you know, to fans. And we're starting to see some really great fan engagement, which is a really important part of what you guys are doing. I mean, the karting at Monza on the Thursday before the race, the introduction at Austin. I mean, it's all giving back to the fans, and it's amazing the turnaround that's happened in the last 12 months. I'm guessing there's more coming. Well, there has to be. Look, we've, sports, the reason you compete aren't for, at the end of the day, us or the teams or anybody else. You compete for fans. Um, and sports is entertainment. So we should... You know, these events should be entertaining, engaging, exciting, and have a breadth of activities. And we need to recognize when, you know, our, our events are not a two-hour, you know, just a two-hour race. You know, I mean, they, they're a three-day weekend for fans. So we need to create a breadth of, you know, activities on the track and, you know, and around the track um, that make it, you know, that make it entertaining, make it enjoyable, and make it exciting for fans, you know, for, you know, for that weekend. I think one of your greatest achievements at the end of the year was the engagement of the F1 Esports Championship. That's really, again, given back to the fans who play the video game year in, year out, but now they feel part of the show. <laughs> well, when you have a franchise like ours and a world is changing, I mean, the digital technology is changing, you know, every business out there. And, you know, changing and creating opportunities. And so we have a brand and a franchise like ours. You know, we need to take that and use, take advantage of these technologies to engage and connect with fans in new and different ways and certainly i thought the e-games they did a great job i mean the competition was fabulous the you know the racing was fabulous to watch and um and again it's a place you know we need to continue to find ways that our franchise you know can you know can take advantage of some of these new technologies to create new experiences particularly ones for younger fans that uh, um you know that are clearly you know engaging with everything you know much more on the devices you hold in your hands than ones that sit on your on your wall so one final question ready for 2018. Obviously, we're engaging new fans. We're embracing the technology to give the current fans a really big boost. But what would you say to the fans that have gone away? And you want to bring them back, obviously, to get them back into the sport. What will they get in 2018 that they haven't got before that will make them want to watch next year? Well, first, we've been very clear. Um, you know, the history of this sport is an incredibly important you know, part of it. And, and as much as we want to continue to innovate and energize we want at the same time celebrate and build on the history of the sport same thing we've said about you know putting races in you know new locations like the u.s is um you know first and foremost we want to make sure we continue to build on the foundation of the sport in europe you know which is you know where the sport you know you know really you know was built um and those foundations are second to none in importance um and you know we want to make sure you know therefore the historic fans that have grown up with the sport following the sport um, you know that we have a sport that they still cherish and you know, cherish and enjoy. Um, you know, they may or may not you know, like everything. When you do some new things, there'll always be a mix of views. But at its core, we need to make sure we're still delivering. You know what made the, makes the sport special to those fans. And you know, a couple decades ago, when I was at Fox and we took the NFL, we had a slogan: "Same game, new attitude." You know, and that's what you know, what I think we need to do here for our historic fans to make sure they know we appreciate what. You know, has made the sport special for them. You know, we want to bring some fresh energy, but it again is not. We're not gimmicking the sport up. We're not. You know, it is going to be a sport that they've loved. What we want to do is make it better. We want to make the competition better, the action better, and enable them to connect with the sport, the drivers, the teams in ways you know that they haven't been able to in the past. That hopefully will make it a richer experience for them. I'm liking the sound of that, Chase yeah. Carey. Thank you so much. Okay, take care. Well, all very optimistic, Matt. Uh, the two questions I have for you and Chris is, you know, A, rate your optimism on how much they will do for the sport as a whole. But I think uh, more tellingly, they've identified 
that Formula One is lagging behind other major sports in social media. And Joe Saywood says Formula One is the biggest sport in the world. You know, not in participation, not in grassroots, but in 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 viewing audiences, in popularity. Not, I'm not sure about that. I don't know those stats. Don't hold me to them. Um, but it lags behind. Lewis Hamilton has something like four million Twitter viewers, uh, whereas a famous footballer, I think it was Ronaldinho, has ten million uh, Twitter followers. Uh, and that is, you know, the same when you go for the clubs, Mercedes, when you go for Barcelona as well. So, can is there the potential there? for Formula One to catch up? Or is it just a simply the fact of that is what Formula One fans are like? Maybe we have an older demographic, for example. I've asked you about <laughs> seven questions there, haven't I? Sorry, mate. I'm going to work backwards. The potential Good. is absolutely there for Formula One to catch up. In fact, we know from one of our very own patrons that they have already distributed a survey looking at delivering Formula One over the top to people in certain countries, which sadly do not include the UK at the moment, but happily do absolutely include the U.S. And I, for one, am thrilled about it. And even for that matter, my my viewing options on ESPN now extend to being able to get ESPN directly without having to subscribe for an entire cable package. That's never been the case for any Formula One coverage I've ever had the opportunity to see before. Things are changing. And I like his same game, new attitude approach. And very much what it sounded like to me, and you, you may have taken something different from it, but what it sounded like to me is they realized that the weakness in Bernie's strategy, such as it was, is long-term, the fans were ignored. The fans weren't at the center of the sport being successful. And it sounds like they want to put the fans at the heart of the sport and they feel like that will energize them and if they adopt new digital strategies and we've already seen them take some strides with their new director's cuts and stuff like that unseen footage that they will be able to grow their audience and grow the worth of their event and they have lots of companies under their umbrella that can help them do this most obviously um live nation which is one of the biggest music act bookers in the world if i'm not entirely mistaken about that yeah i think uh, formula one definitely has a lot to learn in terms of the social front i mean it should have been blaringly obvious that it's lacking behind other sports i mean even behind other motorsports um you know not even just you know football and rugby uh, or the nfl or whatever it is you have in america uh and they do you know it, 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 in in three years, Formula E managed to reach a wider audience on social media than Formula One did, uh, and and that is telling in and of itself. Um, and they, they they keep talking about you know all these the the kind of mindset that they're going to apply, um, but we're kind of yet to really see how it's going to be executed. So I guess we'll we'll, we'll see how that pans out. I like what they're saying now. It's about what they do next. Matt G in the chat room. I am sure more would use Twitter if the broadcast were more engaging with it. When I watch endurance racing, I can communicate with the people in the comms box all the time. BBC F1 Jack Nichols is excellent for that. And I think one of the only people who does it live uh, on a regular basis with his followers. You can tweet him. He'll read it out. He'll respond. Okay. I mean, they do that in practice, but 
with a with a race it's completely different because there's action all the time i mean endurance racing is completely different because you do get lulls in action you know endurance racing is not banging wheels for six hours it's it's very different to to sprint racing or even what formula one is which is kind of in the middle so i can i can i can see that viewpoint it's just not really kind of executable on on you know a saturday or a sunday and a practice session easily but I disagree entirely. If you have your if you have your Twitter team set up correctly, you can let things scroll by and pick stuff. People can pick stuff out for you to respond to. You just need the staff to do it. Oh, uh, haven't we just learned from our experiences with a chat room for the last three years, Matt? When the chat room's flying by, you, you haven't got any chance. When we assign somebody to come and sit in just to monitor the chat room, how much easier is that? Uh, completely, and and this. This is where perhaps Formula One, I mean, imagine being on the app, watching the race, having a chat room open with other people who are watching the race, like like we've seen on YouTube with Formula E and, and certainly with uh, some of the endurance racing categories as well. It's a lot of fun when people are watching the race with you and you can communicate back and forth and then being able to reach out to the broadcasters or the reporters and ask them questions while the race goes on adds a whole extra layer, layer of interactivity which I think really is going to be the next step for getting um, more people involved in the sport. Excellent. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been quite a buzz to be back in the shed for Missed Apex podcast, and it's definitely kind of lived up to its expectations. And the people who watched it live were treated to a lot of my rusty presenting skills. Hopefully I'll be a little bit better when I'm pit lane reporting for the British Rental Cart Championships this weekend. Make sure you catch them on YouTube and uh, look for, look out for my performances. We'll also be doing kind of like a like a TV show, the sofa type dealie where I go, hmm, yeah, it was an interesting day's action. I totally understand uh, what was going on there. And interestingly, uh, Formula Fast are going to give me a few laps on Friday afternoon. So when I see the lap times from these top class drivers because don't forget this is a qualifying competition for the world rental karting championships you will be able to see what a mug like me can do uh, compared to those very top line drivers and then you can take a second and a half off that for chris uh matt do we have a comment go on chris defend yourself no i at the autosport show i went on a sim and was told i was very impressive and if i had some proper tuition i could be a proper racing driver so wow that's like wow you got your seven times table nearly right if someone taught you the seven times table you would get it correct so you're saying you're the kubica of this whole venture then no i'm the who's the guy who won the esports if there was somebody who was maybe hampered in esports i would (laughs) i would be that guy to be fair they literally told you you were being hampered by your lack of experience education and skill which is entirely correct yeah, but in terms of my natural ability, I only needed just a little bit of tuition. Yes, you were very good at sitting in a chair and holding a controller. Congratulations. It, no, no, it was a proper thing. It had a, a stick shift and everything, and it rocked about. Did they let you put the racing line on, Chris? I know you need it. God, no, dude. I didn't even have ABS or anything. Chris puts the racing line on F1 games. Just FYI, guys. Yeah, I'm not a racing driver. That's the whole point of the game, is learning when to brake and accelerate and turn. <laughs> That's that's like playing a platform game where it jumps for you. And by the way, yes, chat room, I would love to do Mr. Apex Mario Kart. That's going to happen at some point. All right, Matt, why don't you tell us who has won this week's... Comment of the Week. 
Well, this has been a tragically competitive comment of the week. But before I begin, I have to say that uh, Mr. Alex Van Jean actually had some advice for you. Me? He's, yeah, yeah, he says that you need to be on form for the British Rental Cart Championships. Banter is a corner of that, and they spot weakness a mile off. So I knew you would appreciate that going into the weekend. The problem is, I'm a pro. I'll be playing it all very, very straight. And I'm a very sensitive soul. So no, none of this locker room stuff. It's, it's, it's basically television. Right. So let's run through our possibilities. Peter Yannickus, former McLaren driver. I have to add that height of the driver doesn't matter when driving lorries. That That's technically true. Interesting uh, fact, I was also an HGV driver for at least 18 months total. Well, there, 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 there is your route to driving in Formula One, I suppose. Uh, Mike Doyle, if you want a championship, hire Lewis. Felix Bolin. Norris, the only driver Spanners can see eye to eye with, literally. Is that body shaming? He can't win. Uh, uh, Philip Allen wonders if Audi Sport from Formula E have been getting advice from Honda on electrical reliability, which funny given how poorly reliable they've been. Uh, Christopher Fonseca, surely any extra money Williams make will be spent on babysitters when they want to leave the drivers at home for the weekend. Um, and I think it's going to have to be this week's winner is newcomer and totally lost my scroll here. Matt G with. Erg, being tall makes my job as a Formula One driver harder. I am even <laughs> taller than my three supermodel girlfriends. It's really tough. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Great pick. Comment of the week. Make sure you follow Matt at MattPT55. Chris, where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, you can get me at CStevens underscore Jano. Excellent. Follow me on Twitter at SpannersReady and the show at MissedApexF1. I have absolutely no idea what we're doing next week, but we will be here and I will have already had a victory against Chris Stevens in karting under my belt. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Chris, why do you keep up the pretense that there's some kind of even battle going on? Unless I'm put into a barrier, it's over for you. I'll be the one putting you in the barrier. You have to qualify high enough to get that. And as Chris pointed I out, will. Alex pointed out in the chat room that like you had about 20 laps to qualify. So no, how did, could you I not get got clean? clean? I got like five laps and I did not. They were not clean because somebody always went off <laughs> and uh, in, in front of me or somebody blocked me or I made a mistake. You know, it's, you know. So there you go. You made a mistake. You're admitting it. It's because you made a mistake. Because I was learning the track. Once again, you're using your own incompetence and lack of skill as an excuse. Oh, no, you're right. I should much rather rather be attacking the f***ing lesson you had with Bradley (laughs) Philpott. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 